Tonight we have listener feedback with an iMac G5 with bulging caps, new iMacs and Mac Pros, the Magic Trackpad, a security concern with Safari, a web interview with Daniel Corsetta, and what exactly is the difference between an Apple specialist store and an Apple store? Tom knows. My Mac Podcast number 304. You're listening to the G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. And welcome, welcome, welcome to the MyMac.com podcast. This is number 304. Now, I don't have Gaz with me tonight, so it's not quite the G-Men. But I do have Tom, Tom Schmidt, who is our resident, uh, I don't want to say Apple genius, because uh, that might get us in trouble. You are our, our resident Apple big brain. Hey, Tom, what's going on? Hey, Guy. Now, How's it going? Oh, oh, it's going well. Uh, I, I don't think it's going quite so well for you right now. I understand that uh, you guys are under a severe, what, thunderstorm and tornado watch right now? Well, just a tornado watch. Oh, is there's that There's a line coming in, so hopefully I won't disappear. Yeah, that would be a bad thing. For pretty much everyone, everyone concerned. <laughs> now, uh, as I was saying in the intro, this is going to be a jam-packed show, um, and so we're just going to get right to it. While I, while I still have Tom, before I lose Tom, going to go over really, really quick uh, the new stuff at, at mymac.com, our our parent site. We have a review on Kensington Portable Notebook Locks by Richard Lefko, a review of the "You Gotta See This" app for the iPhone from Boink Software by Owen Rubin. We also have, by John Nemorowski, three hot products from Arctic Cooling USB speakers. A review of Photo Magico 3.5 by Elisa Paselli. And iPad cases from Marware, Rickshaw, and I've, uh, sorry, iFrogs, reviewed by John Nemorowski. And lastly, well, lastly, we've got, there's a bunch of new cool Mac computers out right now. Just came out today. Just a few, and they've uh, done something that I know you've been wanting for a while with the new iMac in the 27-inch size. Oh, yeah. Put that it, second drive bay in there. Oh, man. You know, yeah, I I actually have a, a topic written up that I've, I've never had a chance to, to get to. Every single week, there just seems to be other stuff for us to talk about. It was talking about, and, you know, and, and I will get to it eventually, uh, talking about where I see holes in Apple's product line. Well, the, the new 27-inch iMacs that, that Apple just released today kind of took away some of my thunder as, as far as um, my complaints about Apple's desktop computers, where, whereas the 27-inch the iMac, besides having a, a standard uh, you know, one to two terabyte, <coughs> oh my goodness, one to two terabyte SATA drive, you can also now have a secondary drive in there, a secondary SSD drive. It looks like it's a, um, I mean, I, I haven't seen Apple's um, take apart for it yet. It, it's not out on their service site for whatever reason. It usually takes a couple days for those to roll sure. out after a product is introduced. But from what I've been able to figure out, it is a two and a half inch standard uh, SATA drive bay. Uh, the brackets I believe are not in there uh, like they are with a Mac Pro um, or used to be with, you know, the other towers, the right. older towers. But um, my guess is that um, since Apple is certifying it for an SSD and SSDs run a lot cooler than a SATA drive, that um, putting a standard two and a half inch SATA hard drive in there probably wouldn't be a good idea because it would probably just get too hot. Well, I mean, is is there really any reason for the iMac to be as thin as it is? I mean, well, you know what? That's that's a topic for another day. Um, I really like the idea that Apple is finally allowing a second internal drive into the iMac, and I'm not going to complain about it because it's something I've wanted for a very, very long time. But let's talk really quickly about... Um, the, the new iMacs in particular, the uh, the two 21.5 inch iMacs, uh, basically the Core 2 Duos gone. They, 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 there's no longer Core 2 Duos in the iMacs. They're all i3s, i5s, uh, 
And if you got a little bit more money, the the quad core i7s. Now, actually, no, you know what? I got to take that back because I think the uh, the high end uh, 27 inch iMac you can get with a 2.8 gigahertz uh, i5, which it, which that, is a quad core. That's standard. Um, it's only the the highest of the four that is quad core. The other three are dual core. Yeah, yeah. The Although I've, you can in the the middle two, you can upgrade. Um, via custom order from the i3 to the i5. But but it's not the quad-core i5? No. Okay. So the, the slowest iMac you can get is a 3.06 gigahertz Intel i3. The, uh, the mid-range one is a 3.2 gigahertz. The 27 inches start at a 3.2 gigahertz i3 or the 2.8 gigahertz uh, quad-core i5. Now, you can get all the way up to a 2.93 gigahertz i7, which is just incredible. And Apple has made the um, the, the switch yet again. You know, they keep going back and forth between, like, NVIDIA and ATI over who's going to supply their graphics cards. Well, now they're back. They're back with ATI again for whatever reason. And all these machines come with, you know, the... Um, I think the low-end iMac in the last series had the uh, the NVIDIA 300 or 320M integrated graphics chip. Yep, the integrated graphics. Right. This is, this all is dedicated graphics across the board. Yep, all ATI graphic cards, uh, the HD 5000 series, basically, you know, five with some various numbers. And either with 512, which is the lowest, 512 gigabytes of dedicated RAM, or even a one terabyte card which is just amazing so one gigabyte yeah yeah and the prices oh i got the prices here somewhere and now i can't find it the uh it starts at 11.99 for the first of the two 21.5s um then it goes to 14.99 when you go from the 306 to the 3.2 gigahertz uh the two 27 inches are sixteen ninety nine and nineteen ninety nine for the quad core, so it's the same price points. It's just, of course, feature enhanced. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of that's kind of what Apple does as far as their pricing goes. They very rarely actually drop their prices. You know, they just basically sell you a better computer for the same price as, as the previous generation. <laughs> so you know, I mean, uh, can't really can't really fault them fault them too much on that now. Uh, the the Mac Pros also got an update. They look exactly the same as they did before, but uh, and I lost. Oh man, I'm just losing my mind tonight. You can get uh, it's a you know they're both these are these are quad core machines either with a single quad or uh, two was it two eight core Xeon Intel's you know and. Uh. Up to 2.93 gigahertz. These are Xeon pro- oh, Intel processors, and the prices on these go from about 24.99 to oh my god. So, if you have a lot of money and you need the kind of horsepower that a <laughs> that you're going to get from a Mac Pro, you're probably going to be a little happy with these up. And I've I've never I could never afford a Mac Pro. I don't know about you, Tom. Well, there's one thing where the jury's still out a little bit on the Mac Pros. They're not going to be out until August. So, I mean, clearly, externally, they look um, the same, if or almost the same, at least. Um, internally, they could look very different. We don't know yet. Yeah, we're we're well. They, you know, they didn't update the pictures or anything on them, though. There's no reason why that they couldn't change the looks on them. But I mean, let, let's face it. This is the, the the Mac Pro. While it's a design that's been around at least externally since the uh, the G5 model, it's a it's a it's a damn good looking little machine. And when they went to Intel and, and went to the, you know the the four drive bays inside, that's just that's just a really really good design, both internally and externally. Now, here's here's an interesting little tidbit. I don't know if you know this or not. The original Mac Pro. Mm-hmm was not designed by Apple. Oh, really? Who designed it? Intel. <laughs> I did not know. Apple I did not was, know Apple that. was so busy designing the in, the Intel iMac, the Intel MacBook, uh, the MacBook Pro, that they, they couldn't do it all, and Intel offered to help. And if you've ever had one of these apart, you can tell. Um, the, the, the original Mac Pro on the inside, there are cables 
everywhere. Oh, really? Not your favorite uh, machine to work on, it, I guess. No, no. The the front panel firewire, mm-hmm. the cable from that plugs almost into the rear of the logic board. I mean, some of that stuff just doesn't make any sense. Um, the ones that Apple has designed since, um, I think with the first revision to the Mac Pro, um, they basically just tweaked Intel, Intel's design. But after that, when they changed to from the the RAM riser boards to the processor tray or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one was an Apple design. There's nowhere near as much cabling as the original Mac Pros. It's just it's a lot cleaner and easier to work on. Okay, well we'll we'll talk about your favorite Macs to work on uh, when when we get to the subject of talking about the differences between like the Apple specialty stores, specialist stores, and the Apple stores, which will be in the third part of the show tonight. There's one. Other kind of cool thing that Apple came up, came out with today, and I'm kind of interested in your take on that. Have you seen the the pictures of the Magic Trackpad? The pictures, yeah, yeah. And considering what you know, I mean, when you look at the trackpad, that the Magic Trackpad, you know, let's make sure we get magic in there. Um, what does that kind of remind you of? What does that make you think of when you see that device? Uh, MacBook Pro. Or, you know, I look at this, you know, I mean, is there other than having a, you know, a, a clear uh, button to push to, to, you know, make something happen, couldn't this be like a, a complete and utter replacement of any kind of mouse or even a trackball? I mean, I'm a big trackball guy because I don't particularly care for mice, but I could see myself using the magic trackpad in place of this trackball that I've been using for, for 20 years. Well, I mean, if you're used to the um, the glass trackpad on the current MacBook Pros, um, it's it's the same but bigger. It's got all the same two, three, four finger gestures. Um, there are, I think, from what I understand, I mean, th- this is all such new information. Right. For I mean, all this just came out today. This is yeah. you know, Tuesday, um, July twenty seventh. There's, there's a uh, for. for for sure, I've heard there's one three-finger gesture that's new with the Magic Trackpad that also released today is a update. I mean, if you look in your software update right now, you'll probably find it. Uh, a well, I just looked a little while ago and it wasn't there, so I'm thinking that that's probably just for maybe – I don't know if it's gonna if that's going to work with the older machines, Well, older desktop machines. Since it, the, it's for the Magic Trackpad as well, it's probably – it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was in everyone's set software update, but it's called Magic Trackpad and Multi-Touch Update version 1.0, uh, and it says this update adds support for Mac OS X for the Magic Trackpad and is required for its use. It also enables inertial scrolling and three-finger drag gestures in recent MacBook and MacBook Pro notebooks. So some of the gestures that... Um, are introduced with the Magic Trackpad are made available to the MacBook and the MacBook Pro through this update. Now, I wonder if you actually have to have the product before you get that update. Unless you're, you know, if you if you have a MacBook or a MacBook Pro, you'll probably get the update. But if you have just a, a desktop machine like I do and you don't have the Magic Trackpad, maybe that's why I'm not seeing the update. Mm, that could be, but it can. Um, manually downloaded also from apple.com slash support slash downloads. Right. But if you don't have it, you know, if you don't have a magic trackpad, there's not much point in in doing the download unless you just want to have it. Right. Okay. um, There's going to be more coming up on the magic trackpad in the weeks to come, I'm sure. I mean, you know, like Tom was saying, this is is so brand new that there's really not that much information out on it yet. A um, couple other things we want to talk about very quickly. We got some listener feedback from from Jer- Jeremy North, and he's having some problems with his iMac G5. It has some bulging caps on the motherboard. And now uh, I forwarded you the response that that I got from him saying that he he basically taken out one of the, one of the caps that I guess was was either bulging or burst. And uh, your advice was. You know, if if there's any any what deformation on any of them that that basically they should all be replaced. Absolutely, not only on the logic board, 
where he's seeing them, but in the power supply as well. So and taking the power supply apart is generally not advised. Well, he's got a, I think it's a 20-inch iMac G5. Mm-hmm. Is there is there much difference as far as the layout goes uh, internally between the 17 and the 20 inch? Not a lot. I mean, clearly because of the size of the casing, there's some differences, but um, most of the stuff is at least in a similar location. And how much work is it to replace those caps? I have absolutely no idea. I wouldn't even try it myself. Oh, really? So probably in, in your mind, it would be, especially on, on a machine that's probably close to six years old now, um, more trouble than it's worth? I think so. Um, there are, I mean, if, if you've got the skills to be able to do that fine type of soldering work, that's great. Um, but it's it's not easy. Um, I... I'm not a good solderer myself at all. Um, we get some of these still in, and most of the time when, when I'm quoting those, uh, the customers just go for a replacement, which, you know, with as old as, you know, this Snow Leopard and the dropping of PowerPC support being more and more, I mean, it's, right. you know, makes more sense to just move on at that point. Yeah. There's, you know, sorry. I wish I had better news for you, Jeremy, but, uh, it it sounds like it's about time to retire that that beast and and uh, get, get get at least you know some kind of of Intel based uh, iMac or or Mac desktop or you know whatever your preferred method of computing is. Uh, you know I have I've found in the past that one of the best ways to get a Mac a little bit cheaper was to go to the refurb store uh, in the Apple store you know on the the main page. And that's where I've gotten all of my Macs for probably the last five or six years. Or another option is perhaps Jeremy could go to his local Apple premium reseller in the UK. That's what they call a, an Apple specialist over there. Um, and they may deal in some used machines. Yeah. Well, I know you, you've got like, uh, what, Small Dog Electronics here. And I mean, Power Macs, and I think there's, there's quite a few other ones as well that now... Now, you work for an Apple specialist. Do they sell uh, used Macs where, where you work? We have some used machines taken on trade, yes. So it's, it's you know, basically catch-as-catch-can, catch kind of a first-come, first-serve on, on what your selection is going to be? Yep, and um, all of the used machines that we have are thoroughly checked over. Uh, any parts that need to be replaced get replaced okay. uh, and before they're put out on the sales floor. And uh, they come with a 30-day guarantee. I mean, different stores may do different things. Right. That's what um, First Tech does. Okay. Uh, last thing we're going to talk about before we take our break, there was a uh, recent security concern with Safari, uh, a, a particular web security company. Now, typically, these are companies that make money trying to sell you security for your Macintosh that generally you, you don't really need. Uh, they have found a security problem with Safari's autofill feature, which puts your name and address and some other information automatically into forms on the web when you know some some website requests it um, with a specially designed website. They can get this knowledge from your address book, and you'll have absolutely no idea that it's happening. Now, all WebKit-based browsers like Google's Chrome. And Palm's WebOS can be vulnerable to this, though only Safari gave up the information with the proof of concept release. So, unfortunately, the only current fix is to go into your preferences for Safari and turn off the autofill feature. Specifically, the checkbox that says, using info from my address book card. Yes. So... If you're concerned about that, go ahead and turn that off and, and you know, just wait for Apple to patch it. You know, we'll, we'll find out how long this takes. But they're, they're generally pretty good as far as, you know, for the most part, as far as uh, Safari updates go. And for most websites, well-known websites, you probably don't have to worry about that. But it's still not a bad idea to go in there and uncheck that checkbox until there's a, a Safari update to fix that. Yep. I would agree with that very much. Okay, we're we're going to take a little break here. Uh, when we come back, I'll have the interview that I did earlier with Danielle Corsetta, who is the 
writer and artist and publisher of Girls with Slingshots, a very popular webcomic. I hope you enjoy it. And then uh, right after that, Tom is going to be back, and we're going to talk about Apple specialty stores or specialist stores and Apple stores. Not necessarily which one is better, but which one might suit your needs better for you. We'll be right back. The path to true enlightenment can take many forms, but this probably isn't one of them. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. Okay, and we're back. And as promised, I have Danielle Corsetta, who is the artist extraordinaire for Girls with Slingshots, which can be found at, oh, a number of places. Girls with, was it girlswithslingshots.com? Uh-huh. And DanielleCorsetta.com. And GWScomic.com. And GWScomics.com. Don't want to leave that out. Now, mm-hmm. you've, you've actually been drawing comics for a very long time. And mm-hmm. you started when you, were, when you were pretty young. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I've, I feel bad. I've told this story so many times. Yeah, I know. I was eight years old. Um, I was really good at, uh, at reading and writing and drawing at a really early age. Um, uh, I kind of plateaued at like fifth grade, but you know, <laughs> I haven't recovered since then. But uh, <laughs> it took me uh, a couple of years to realize that um, all the comics that I loved in the uh, in the newspaper, which my grandfather always read to me when I was a kid, um, that I should probably marry my love of art and my love of writing and mix them into uh, doing comic strips. And once I started uh, when I was eight, I really did not stop. I always had some project I was working on from then on, you know, until now. Mm-hmm. I anticipate that I'll probably continue for the rest of my life. Well, I know from look from looking at your site, uh, you talked about the first one you did was called Fat Cats, which was, mm-hmm. you, as you proclaimed, it was kind of a Garfield ripoff. Uh-huh. And uh, you had one that you were doing for the, the school newspaper in high school, or, or do I have not have that right? Yep, you got it. Um, oh, I think so pretty good. much every school I went to, I was doing a comic. Mm-hmm. And so, what was that okay. one called? Actually, um... There were two that I did in, in high school. One was called um, Fried Pudding, because I thought it was clever by coming up with stupid words that didn't really match each other. And then um, the other one was Hazelnuts, and that's actually the precursor to um, uh, to Girls with Slingshots that introduced uh, Hazel and Jamie and Reese, even though Reese looked a little different back then. <laughs> and, um, so I, I actually wound up picking that back up after college. Okay, and then, then you went to college. And where did you go to college? Uh, Shepherd University. Well, Back then it was Shepherd College. It was very small and dinky and looked like a summer camp. Um, now it's Shepherd University, and it's big and, and Massive. very different game. <laughs> yeah, I still live in the town, so I keep watching as it grows. It's huge, but not really an art school. I mean, it's got a really great conceptual art, uh, fine arts program, but um, I went there for photography. Um, my parents thought it was kind of a weird idea to go into school for art, and they were just kind of like, well, stick to photography. That's safe. You can become a wedding photographer or something. And I became a cartoonist. <laughs> <laughs> so, really confused them. Well, now, after, after you got out of college, um, did you start Girls with Slingshots right away, or was there another project you were working on? Um, pretty much right away. Uh, I've been doing <laughs> the, the origin story for the name of Girls with Slingshots. is kind of lame, like the origin story for pretty much anything having to do with <laughs> Girls with Slingshots. But um, I couldn't write, or I couldn't draw guns very well, and I was going to conventions just to kind of get my name out and see if I could collaborate with people on sure. projects. And um, a lot of people were asking me to do commissions for them, um, and I couldn't draw guns, but they kept asking me for girls with guns, so I draw them with slingshots instead. Uh, so the name weird. stuck. People kept asking, "When will girls with slingshots become a, a regular feature?" And I pulled some, you know, date out of my butt and said October first. And was like, okay, I guess I got to follow through with it and come up with a story. <laughs> so October first of two thousand four, I graduated in May, and in October I started Girls with Slingshots. So I mean, why were all these? What, I, I'm, I'm going to guess it was mostly guys that were asking you for, yeah. for <laughs> commissions with was, girls with guns. Mm-hmm. That is so weird. So mm-hmm. you you started the strip in two thousand four. You said, uh-huh. and um. That's that's been pretty much your, your your steady gig since then. But you you also kind of took over for a um, I, I don't know if you're still doing this. Uh, uh, Peter Peter Baggy. Yeah. You were doing Bat Boy for the Weekly World News. 
Yeah, he used to do it, and um, actually, the Weekly World News, the, uh, I was doing some really small, strange convention in New York City, and uh, this guy came up to me, kind of looked through my stuff, asked me if I did everything, and I said, yeah, everything from, you know, the comics, the writing, the art, to the HTML for the website, and he dropped his card and said, uh, we might be able to use you, contact me, and it was the Weekly World News, he was the editor-in-chief, and I was like, oh, that's freaking amazing, of course I'm going <laughs> to contact you. So we were actually working on um, a completely original story. I was going to be doing a story about um, a shape-shifting alien and uh, Sasquatch, and um, I had everything all you know written up. I'd uh, proposed the you know pitched the idea to them, and then uh, the guy contacted me and was like, um, "Hey, actually, Peter Bag just uh, dropped um, because he didn't have enough time to do Bat Boy anymore. Uh, would you like to do that instead?" And I said, "Heck yes! Yeah, so that sounds amazing." And um, contacted Peter. He was awesome about it. He said take the reins, do whatever you want. I asked him if it was okay for me to just take the story a completely different direction. He said yes. And um, I only did it for about a year and a half uh, because the magazine went tits up after a while. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's only available online now, and I don't know if it even has comics anymore. But um, either way, they, they stopped having any, any of the cartoonists on there, I think, uh, uh, had to be laid off. but Well, not laid off. I mean, it's not like it was our full-time <laughs> well, it was, it was but, piece, know, it, it was piecemeal work, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was really good, actually. I didn't realize that it was making so much money until I suddenly didn't have that money anymore. <laughs> that was kind of a painful drop. I suddenly went, oh, shoot, I have rent to pay next month. Okay. Well, let's, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Girls with Slingshots. Now, this, you know, when a lot of people think about comic strips, they're thinking about, you know, like you said, the the, the strips that they read in the newspaper, which for the most part are, are pretty cut and dry and safe and, you know, I mean, not not really – very edgy, you know, Lucy pulls the football away from Charlie Brown for the you know, <laughs> 500th time. But Girls with Slingshots, it, 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 it's, it's, it definitely deals with adult themes. Now, um, why, why did you put the emphasis on adult themes as compared to, to doing more commercial work? Um, you know, when I was starting, I was actually um – Syndicated comics were still kind of there enough that I was interested in sending off um, ideas to syndicates. Mm -hmm. uh, and they kept on writing up these ideas. Like one was, I don't know, a dude who hung out with his goldfish all day. I mean, it was horrible. Like I wrote three of them and was like, wow, this is really horrible. I don't want to do this at all. <laughs> but, Find yourself um, doing that for 30 or 40 years, yeah. Yeah, really, which a lot of people have. Um, yeah. Poor Jim is always, uh, or John is always talking to Garfield every day, um, sadly. But... Uh, well, I mean, in a sad, in a sad fashion, anyway. He's always sadly talking to Garfield. Um, so I didn't really want to do that. And uh, I'm a pretty open person. Um, <laughs> people, people tend to talk to me about pretty much anything, especially now that I have this comic out saying, "Hi, I talk about everything." Um, I've always <laughs> been this way, and I, I'm fascinated by uh, things that people just don't talk about. Um, everything from sex and relationships to. Uh, Maybe drinking problems, maybe just drinking hobbies. Um, you know, anything that people don't talk about, I'm really fascinated about because it's just um, it's kind of funny that we have these topics we don't want to breach with our friends, even our closest friends. Right. So I figured if I wrote it in a comic strip form in a way that was entertaining, it would kind of just bring people out to start talking about things a little bit more, which I think is kind of important, especially in romantic relationships and, you know, relationships with your closest friends and family. There are things we don't talk about, and we really should, and we should feel, be able to feel comfortable talking about them. So um, I still do it in a very humorous way. Uh, I just wrapped up a extremely painfully long um, storyline about STDs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm still going to make it as entertaining as possible, but uh, I'd like to bring this stuff up. I do have a total... Um, the word MO, I guess. Uh, I, I have a... There's a word for it. It starts with a U. Uh, one of those things that people say, oh, no, you've got one of those. You're trying to, trying to change the world. <laughs> So I'm sure I'll come up with that word like tomorrow, which is yeah, useful, well, yeah. but, as, as, um, soon, as soon as I hit click, it'll be like, oh, that word yeah, was Ubermensch exactly. or something. <laughs> yeah, I have exactly. to say that that um, it was, I guess it was uh, some point last year, it was the funniest use of pain stars ever. <laughs> Thanks. I, I, People really like those. <laughs> and and the, the part that I thought was, was you know, the, the biggest crack up was uh, – uh, Jamie Jamie takes Hazel to see her mother, and as soon as her mother sees her, she's like, "Oh, I've never seen such bizarre pain stars before." <laughs> <laughs> just I just thought that was great. Yeah. Um, what do you feel that that the work that you're doing, you know, 
with you know more adult themes. I don't, I don't want to you know harp on this, but that's okay. Do you think that it's it's a natural progression from the underground strips that that kind of grew out of the '60s and '70s, like Gilbert okay. Shelton's Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers and Robert Crumb, and well, and and Peter Baggy with Hate and uh, Neat Stuff. Yeah, you know, um, actually not really, because I never, I mean, personally at least, I never used to read that stuff. Um, I think it's more, uh, it actually comes from being on the internet, honestly. It has a lot more to do with the fact that, I mean, for better or for worse, um, the... Another good show. I know, really. One of my favorites. Um, The ability to kind of hide behind a a handle, uh, or, you know, whatever they call avatar, whatever... um, and be kind of anonymous on the internet allows people to be a lot more honest about things they would normally not talk about. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the fact that a lot of us are going to the web now and we're, you know, putting strips on the web that wouldn't necessarily be um, appropriate for a syndicated for a syndicate, uh, I think it kind of it's not that it's um, like pushing us to be more open about things that they don't usually talk about in comic strips. It's just that we're allowed to. I mean, I'm sure. I've seen some strips from Beetle Bailey that were really um, kind of risque uh, that he did on his own time. Um, and, of course, you know, Frank Show was always pushing the envelope a bit. But, um, you know, cartoonists are usually perverts, and they just aren't allowed <laughs> to express that when they're in newspapers. No. So I think it's really just that we're allowed to. I really think that's what the issue is, is that we're allowed to do it. So we're going to do it because that's what we'd rather talk about. Well, now, um, comics and and you know, or comic books and, and comics in general has, have been mostly a, a male dominated type of industry going like way, 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 way back. Do, do you feel that it, it's harder for a woman to be accepted into what has traditionally been a male dominated field? And, and have you, have you had to fight against that stereotype? Not even remotely. Um, I, I guess maybe I've just, totally uh, got rose-colored glasses on or something, but I um, never really had a problem with it. Uh, I mean, if anything, I think it's actually helped me, which I kind of don't like. I'd actually, I like that B Corsetto has always been my um, uh, my handle for anything mm-hmm. um, because I don't want people judging me based on my, my gender. I think it's kind of silly. Um, no, I think, I mean, maybe there were problems in the past, but I think a lot of the time, uh, if women now are bitching about having a problem getting into the industry, it's simply that they are acting, this is really crappy of me to say, but I think it's really that they're acting in a way that, um, you know, is maybe trying to push the angle that they're a woman and they want to get in the industry. It's really, it's such not an issue at all. Um, there aren't that many women who are interested in getting into at least traditional comics, which is fine. But for some reason, with webcomics, I mean, half of the webcomics I read are by females. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of them are very, very successful. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of just been a non-issue. I actually, I always grumble and groan. I have to admit, I just rolled my eyes while you were asking the question, only because I get it so often. <laughs> no know. offense to you I at know. all. Um, but, you know, people will ask me to do, um, like, women in comics panels, and I'm like, this is the most useless thing on the planet. If we keep on segregating ourselves and acting like it's an issue at all, it's going to be it's an issue. It's going to stay an issue. Yeah. So really, I'd rather be on a panel where it's like about web comics or about comics that talk about sex or about comics that are slice of life and comedy. You know, so it has you, more to do with the content than the fact that I'm female. You, you kind of break the glass ceiling by pretending it's not there. Yeah, basically, it's the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I I, I would agree with that. Uh, yeah. Let's let's talk about some of the characters in Girls with Slingshots. Now, the the main protagonist is Hazel who's an unemployed professional writer now working in an adult bookstore and occasional babysitter for what is probably the world's youngest pervert. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hazel is, uh, everybody always asks me, they come up and they see the, the header drawing, which is like, you know, Hazel and Jamie mostly in the front. And they always look at me and they look at Hazel and I've gotten short hair now. So I, I look a little bit more, I actually just realized I can do the pigtails like Jamie. <laughs> but uh, now they really ask me, they're like, so which one are you? And they do it as a joke, but it's really, it's pretty true. Hazel, <laughs> for better or for worse, I'm going to keep dropping that uh, phrase, um, is kind of my autobio character. Um, you know, when I'm not feeling so great about myself. And uh, Jamie is my autobio character when I'm drunk. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, now the, the we, well. talk, talking about Jamie, now she's a florist. Mm-hmm. And a uh, and I wrote this down, and you can probably correct me if, if I'm wrong. She's a sexually active virgin. 
that's a, you know, I read that in your um, questions, and that's the greatest way you could put that. Right? Okay. Because it confuses people, but it's absolutely true. Okay. Exactly what it is. And, and recently she's become a romance detective with a uh, bubble pipe. <laughs> with a, what was the last word you said? With a bubble pipe. Oh, yeah, the bubble pipe, of course. Um, yeah, that's her, uh, that's her side job, I guess, that she doesn't get paid for. But, yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. these two these two characters, which are I mean, really are the, are the main characters in the strip. They're kind of your your yin and your yang in your real life, in a way. Yeah, a little bit. You know, Jamie was based on um, Hazel was always the autobio character, and Jamie was actually based off of a lot of um, because she was created back in high school, uh, based on all the girls I really wanted to be like back in high school. These like artsy, funky, very self um, self aware, and and uh, or just confident women but I wasn't really you know I wasn't quite there there yet and um, even though Hazel's kind of a tough girl she's pretty uh, vulnerable at times yeah so okay now probably the absolute and, and there's some weird characters in this strip but this is this yeah. one is probably the absolute weirdest McPedro <laughs> the talking cactus the talking with the cactus with the bushy mustache sombrero and for some reason speaks with an Irish accent what is the story yeah. on the Irish accent? Oh, it's the worst. I told you, every origin story is bad, so just be prepared for total okay. disappointment. Right. Um, I'll, 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 take, I'll, take a, I'll take a refreshing drink while you tell me. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even listen then. Good. Don't even listen. Just wait for the pause at the end. Um, the, uh, there was a company that I signed with a couple years back, and um, they wanted to do the merchandising for Girls with Slingshots, and they were like, let's make dolls out of Hazel and Jamie, and I was like, I know what plushies are, and I know that they bore holes in their plushies and, you know, do things to them. I don't want there to be dolls of Hazel and Jamie, um, <laughs> oh or my. anything soft enough to punch holes into. So, um, use your imagination. I think you can figure out what's going on here. Yeah. And I was like, can we do a different character? And they were like, yeah, sure, why don't you make a character that would be good as a plushie, like something cuddly? And <laughs> so I'm a smartass and was like, <laughs> how about a cactus? Um, that's not plushy at all. Uh, but you know, he, he worked, I created the character and then, um, went over to visit a few friends, had a few drinks and the guy was like, well, a friend of mine was helping me out. He's actually, he does a comic called, um, in his likeness. Uh, Jamie was trying to help me out with coming out, flushing up this character. And he was like, just kind of doing some in interpretations of what he thinks the character would sound like. And they came out Irish instead of, um, instead of Mexican, which is what he was expecting to do originally. And I was like, no, that's funnier. He should have a sombrero and a mustache and um, speak with an Irish accent. And then I did no research on Irish accents and cut in a bit of Scottish. So he's actually got a Skyrish accent. Skyrish. I like that. Yeah, somebody here didn't do her research. And then a few <laughs> lads and lassies in there when they didn't belong. Uh, you know, I tried. Well, 200 years from now, it just won't make any difference. There we go. <laughs> okay, uh, Clarice, who works with Hazel at the adult bookstore. Mm -hmm. Now, you also have uh, Jameson, who I, I believe was romantically linked with Hazel for a short period of time. Very briefly, yep. Okay, he's now married to Maureen, and he's very embarrassed about his hair loss, and I can certainly relate to that. <laughs> uh, Maureen, now she's a professional book editor, I believe. Um, Maureen does nothing right now. Actually, I was thinking about that last night. I'm not sure how they afford their apartment. I'm going to have to breach that pretty soon. Okay. Well, she's married to Jameson. Oh, then then you have, but yeah. you have Melody, who's Maureen's deaf sister, who's dating Chris the Pirate. Mm -hmm. Now, where did Chris the Pirate come from? I don't even know. He just wrote himself, honestly. I had nothing <laughs> to do with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he He came into the strip with an eye patch, and, um, you know, he kept the eye patch because he thought it was going to make girls like him or pity him or something, and it didn't really work, and he was a compulsive liar, and who knows? Maybe that'll come back. You know, he doesn't have issues with dating people, so uh, whenever he gets nervous, he seems to lie. So we'll see. Now, you have, you have Candy, who's a somewhat insane professional sadomasochist. You have uh, Thea. Insane. That was really nice of you. I'm sorry. Somewhat insane. That's very, very optimistic and kind of you. Well, I, I don't want her looking for me. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. Uh, you have Thea, who who was formerly Hazel's boss at the uh, the now closed newspaper that she used to work at, and uh, came out that she's she was a, a once closeted lesbian, but has re restless leg syndrome. Right. Actually, I don't think she was ever, well, I'm sure everybody's closeted at some point, but she's been open pretty much the whole time. She was quiet about it. She wouldn't oh, okay. tell people up front. But yeah, she's, she's been the lesbian character 
the first lesbian character, I think. And, uh, yeah, now her STD is Russell Slug Syndrome, which, no, is not actually an STD. I just <laughs> made it up because herpes wasn't as funny. No. But. No, that is funny. <laughs> and then you have Angel, who is has been the bartender in the strip for a long time and was mm-hmm. dating Thea. And then you have you have Zach, who was the cab driver with a mysterious past that has been somewhat resolved that we won't go into here on the show. <laughs> who's who's, uh, who's now dating Hazel? Have, have I have I missed any any of the big characters? Oh, I think you're good. I think it's all of them. Well, like I said, you know, I've uh, you and we'll, we'll get to this before we finish. All the all the various plugs. Don't want to miss that. Um. Let's go into, and we got to hurry this up. Let's go into the technical. Uh, what is your drawing process? Okay. Um, that is actually different than a lot of people that I know now who are doing webcomics. For some reason, it's strange. A lot of women in webcomics are doing everything by hand. We're hand lettering. We're hand drawing. Um, Meredith Grand from Octopus Pie actually still um, draws with a, or she's actually reverted and learned how to use a brush. And I'm still using pens, but it's definitely on paper. Um, the only portion of my process that is digital, besides you know putting it up on the web, resizing it and whatnot, is um, the grayscales I'll mm-hmm. add. If I do color, if I do a grayscales, um, that's always in Photoshop just because it's a nice even gray. And that means I can scan in my blacks as pure blacks and white pixels, not, uh, not grays. You know, they're very, very crisp that way. And then you can add the grays on top, and the grays are all flat and solid. Um, but, yeah, everything that I do is by hand, which means, or, you know, everything on the ink, side of it is done by hand, which means that if you buy the original, and this is the reason, part of the reason why, um, you get the full kind of strip, the, the experience of the strip. You get, you know, all of the writing. You get all of the artwork. It's a nice big strip. It's really lovely looking. Well, you know, if I, if I might say so. And it's no, kind you of can. Lovely. You can. <laughs> now, now you do, you do your strips from, from some of the, the research I did a little bit differently than, than the way I typically would imagine that cartoonists do their strips. You actually do your word balloons first. Yeah, which is smarter, once again, in my opinion. Um, I used to do it uh, so the artwork was first, and actually I did this way, way before, I think before even uh, Ramblers, which is my college comic that I did. Um, I used to just do the artwork uh, first and then think of the writing as being secondary, but really the writing is so important. I mean, if you don't have a good story, it doesn't matter how good your art is. Um, right. The writing is so important, and you can't. You can be very flexible with artwork. You can, you know, change angles and change, um, you know, zoom and everything. But you really can't change the zoom on writing unless you suddenly want like one panel, or you know, one panel will have such big artwork that you just decide to write the writing really small, and that actually transfers into when you're reading it a, a whisper. Yeah. And a lot of artists don't realize you need to have that writing be, you know, pretty. It's pretty important to keep that really um, consistent throughout the strip. Now that must make it kind of hard to to have like multiple characters in a single panel that are all talking at the same time. It can sometimes get tricky. Um, It's a matter of uh, not crossing your you know the pointers on your word balloons and um, just changing the artwork around. I mean, the artwork if you get creative enough, you can make the artwork work around any um, pretty much any word balloon uh, Mm -hmm. situation. So it's much more important to get that straight first and then do the artwork. So, but basically, other than scanning software, uh, the only software you use to create the strip is uh, Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, uh, how how far ahead do you plan for the strips? <laughs> well, I'm going to write tomorrow's tonight, so. Oh, okay. So, you, you don't have, like, a big back, backlog then? Um, I definitely have ideas, um, you know, of where the strips are going to go. But honestly, I mean, I've considered doing buffers. I'm going to have to do a buffer pretty soon because I'll be going on a trip, um, in uh, in August, but uh, it's kind of I kind of prefer it this way, doing it last minute because the with the immediacy of the web, like the nature of the web, you get feedback from people immediately. If somebody's getting tired of a story arc, you hear from them immediately. You hear you know complaint emails. If somebody loves a certain character, Thea and um, Chris the Pirate both came out of uh, my readers' love for those two characters. And if I had written way far ahead, I wouldn't have written them into the stories quite as um, prominently. Yeah, that so makes sense. I actually really like the feedback, and that really helps me uh, form the next ideas. Well, how long is your typical story arc, or, or does that kind of vary depending on where you, you're taking the characters? It varies. Um, I've been trying to keep in mind now that I'm doing um, books uh, with 200 strips per book and that, you know, now that I'm doing five times a week, I try to start off with something that refreshes uh, people with the concept and what's going on and then end on Friday with 
a strip that'll, you know, keep you coming back on, on Monday, or at least that will, you know, feel like an appropriate end to that week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been keeping that in mind a lot more lately. Um, but uh, so generally, you know, I'd say five strips, but really it winds up being probably around ten strips. Um, I'll often take a break and go to a different story for a little while and then come back to, you know, the original story later on. So it depends. Okay. Are, are there any other web comics that you like or could recommend? Oh, so many. Um, everybody probably already reads questionable content, but it's probably my favorite. Um, actually, I can just bring up my, I'm just sitting in front of my computer as per usual, um, my reader. Uh, the ones that I read daily are um, PVP and Least I Could Do and Bad Machinery, which is, um, I just forgot his name, John. Um, well, anyway, John's, uh, John's old strip was Scary Go Round, if you're familiar with that one. His no, I don't think I've seen that. You have to have a little bit of a um, familiarity, which I don't really, um, with British humor because it is a little bit different. Um, but it's really, really good, and the art is so solid. So I read those. I read um, Johnny Wander whenever it uh, updates. Yuka's art is amazing, and Anant is a fantastic writer. Um, and I've been reading uh, all new issues by my friend Bill Ellis, who actually has a main character who is the cousin of Hazel, so it's kind of a little bit of crossover there. Oh, yeah. Um, he just started his up, and it's fantastic. Um, is that the guy that has, has the, the weird pink cat? No, that would be uh, that would be Randy from Something Positive, which is also a really oh, great Oh, yes, trip. yes. Yeah. Because you guys just did kind of a weird crossover thing. Right, his cat made it with my cat, and we had a bunch of kitties. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked out. <laughs> now, this is this is basically your main gig, right? This, I mean, this is this is how. Yeah. Uh, how, yeah. how how do you support yourself with a webcomic? Most common question. Um, I know. Besides the, uh, how does it feel to be a woman in comics? Um, well, I already asked that one. Clear. Exactly. This is a totally fair question, um, and actually, I love it when people ask me this because it does seem kind of impossible to be able to do this. Um, there are many different uh, ways of doing it, but the, the one that I see most people doing is the same one as mine, which is we have advertisements on the website. Um, you know, those pay for, those actually pay for rent for me right now, um, but the merchandise is really what pays for everything. Um, and if you have enough readers and they're really serious about um, your comic, they're going to wind up buying stuff. Um, I sell original artwork. Um, I sell the books. I have four books out. The fifth book is going to come out really soon. Yep, I have, and- I have all four of those books and the uh, the bonus buttons. Oh man, you're like the the main collector. Then you've got everything. Oh yeah, I don't have I don't have a plush McPedro though. Sorry. Yeah, it's coming out this year finally. Um, I, I won't go into details about it yet because it hasn't been announced. But there is a company that will be doing a lot more for Girls with Slingshots this year. I'm really excited about it. So um, yeah, anything that is merchandise that uh, is coming out of Girls with Slingshots, that's what's helping out. And it's actually. Um, it's managed to support both me and my assistant, Jesse. I'm letting her go soon because of the um, the contract. She was kind of my in-between person taking care of everything until this contract went through. But, um, you know, she's been a huge help, and it has been supporting both of us. So it's really saying something, I guess. So you've, you've got merchandising. You have advertising on your website. Can, can people also – I mean, I know that some comics actually have, like, a direct uh, – you know, support the artist by clicking this button and sending me yeah. something from PayPal. I similar to that, um, there's a, a place on my on my comic. Actually, I think if you just click on um, donate, uh, if you click on donate, I kind of wanted to be able to give something back to people when they donated. And this is like my anti-capitalism little area. Um, I can't stand. I don't like capitalism. I love money when I have it, but I generally just don't like money. So, and I have a lot of <laughs> college age readers. So I wanted to make something where if you donated any amount, whether it's fifty dollars, five dollars, two cents, it doesn't matter, um, you get a wall, a water, what's it called a wallpaper image in the back, you know, that you can put in the background of your uh, your computer. So there's a whole array of different ones that you can get back there, and um, doesn't matter how much you donate. If you're just donating a buck, it doesn't matter. It helps, you know, support me, and it uh, gives you a free wallpaper. When, you you mentioned that you have a, a fifth book coming out. When is that supposed to come out? That should come out probably at the end of September, and um, we're still planning that out. I'm actually traveling uh, to go visit the guys who are um, going to be in charge of all the stuff from now on in, in August, and we're going to plan out everything. But um, hopefully I'll have another signing tour at the end of September, early uh, October, something like that, and uh, go around the Northeast like I usually do. Because I seem to have a lot of readers out here on the side. <laughs> so, um, until I get to California someday, it's a bit of a drive. But uh, for now, I'll just stay here and uh, have those um, ready for Christmas. Well, along it, with it, a lot of other merchandise. 
if somebody wanted to buy uh, one to four of the, the older books, other than going directly to your website and buying them, where could they find them? There is no other place to buy them right now, actually. Um, there are a couple of comic book shops that I'm sure have already sold out of them. Um, whenever I do a signing, I'm, I'm offering, you know, that I'll be able to sell the books um, to whichever stores do the signings for me. Besides that, though, it's been so much work just trying to keep this business going on its own mm-hmm. that I haven't even bothered with retailers. Um, from now on, well, not from now on, from like the end of August on, um, we'll have them available through bookstores. But uh, until then, I am the only person you can get them through, and they are all in my garage right now. <laughs> well, are you also are you thinking about going selling them through like Amazon or something like that, or having like an you affiliate program through well, Amazon? I won't. I actually won't have any. Um, I won't say control, but I'm going to let these guys dictate everything. Uh, the company I'm signing with is uh, going to be taking care of all that for me. So it'll probably be going through um, Amazon, and uh, they also said I think um, Diamond Books, which means not just. Uh, comic book shops, but also Borders and Barnes and Noble, and whoever else will take me. Yeah, they're based out of Baltimore, I think, aren't they? Oh, uh, Barnes and Noble. Oh no, 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 uh, Diamond Distributors. Oh, uh, I wouldn't even know because I kind of just give them a big, you know. <laughs> help me! Help me! <laughs> don't, they don't really, they don't really like it seems uh, indie creators, and I just don't even want to bother with them. They take so much money; it's kind of a, it seems like a big monopoly. Right. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I'm glad. I'm glad this other company will, you know, be dealing with them because I just don't want to. So yeah, maybe they're in Baltimore. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's the way to win people over, Danielle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, screw them. Okay. <laughs> Uh, if people wanted to buy your books, they can go to any of the, the three websites we talked about earlier, GWS Comics or Comic.com, DanielCorsetta.com, and – oh, I'm sorry. What was the third one? Really just GirlsWithSlingshots.com is the only thing you have to keep in mind. They're all going to go to the same place okay. pretty much. It's just different URLs, so it's easier for people to, to choose. And if people wanted to contact you, how would they go about doing so? Um, man, not Facebook and not an Etsy conversation. Let me tell you, <laughs> people try to contact me via via Facebook. I'm like, oh god. Um, actually, there's a contact button on my website, and it gives you three different options. One is for like fan mail and fan art, which I love getting, but I never get to respond to, but I always read. Um, and that's you know, girlswithslingshots at gmail.com. Um, there's sales and advertising on there, and then my personal email address is uh, on there as well. And I even have a snail mail address on there. And I do occasionally get postcards from readers, and it is the sweetest thing. I love it. <laughs> okay, Danielle. Well, it was great talking to you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. No, oh, thank you. And uh, I'll be right back with Tom to finish out the show, and uh, we'll see you guys in just a little bit. Stand by to stand by. Listening to the G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast probably won't cure male pattern baldness, but can you afford to take that chance? And we're back, and I'm here with Tom. And, and Tom, you are you're, you're, you're kind of a, a unique person here in, in the MyMac family, probably one of the, the few of us that actually makes a living based on Apple products. Uh, tell me about that. Um, I work at a retailer in Minneapolis, Minnesota named First Tech Computer. Um, interesting thing about that is it is Apple's oldest oldest um, continuously operating Apple dealer. Um, started that's, first, selling, that's firsttech.com. Yep. Um, it, the When the dealer contracts went out, it was actually some of the it was team electronics at the time it was actually some of the um team electronics personnel that um wrote the uh resale agreement between apple and team um there was a uh, one of those you know those do- two documentary movies that were out a couple years ago um i forget the name of the other one but uh welcome to macintosh Oh yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, of my brother, oh. my both my brother Larry and I were uh, in the beginning of. Um, I don't think it was Welcome to Macintosh. Yeah. I think it was you were there. in the other one. Yeah, yeah. But um, Welcome to Macintosh. Uh, the guys who made that actually spent quite a bit of time in Minneapolis um, at First Tech and with people who were with Team Electronics at the time, as it was known before it was First Tech. Um, 
So there's quite a bit of first tech in the Welcome to Macintosh documentary. <laughs> now, there's, there's a lot of areas of the country. I mean, everyone goes crazy about Apple stores, but, you know, I mean, they're not everywhere, and they're not always convenient for a lot of people. But Apple specialty and Apple specialist stores like First Tech in, in Minneapolis are in most of these other areas. What is the the real big differences between like an Apple store and a place like First Tech? Um, well, I've never worked at an Apple store. I've been at First Tech since 1994. Uh, the Apple stores have only been around since 2001. So I can't tell you from that side of a fence what the differences are. But um, just in the referrals that, that we get from the Apple stores, I know that there's some things that we do that they don't. Uh, such as data recoveries, on-site services, um, working on older machines. Um, there's there's um, the Apple specialists are locally owned, whereas right. Apple stores are all corporate. So there's, of course, the local ties in the community with different events and things that, that you don't get with an Apple um, retail store yeah, and a lot of places like first tech that they, they do different things like they offer database and web development and a lot of cross platform solutions and enterprise support services that an apple store just really can't do right i mean the apple retail stores from from my perspective are, are uh geared a little bit more as a consumer showroom compared to an apple specialist whereas you know, we, we've got some database and web developers on staff, and we offer those kinds of services. Uh, there are also certified training centers. Apple, uh, or I mean First Tech, is one of the uh, largest certified training centers in the, um, the five-state area around here, Minnesota, the Dakotas, Wisconsin. Um, there's an even more limited number of those compared to Apple specialists. Yeah, I, I know that the, Apple has started doing some of the, you know, the one-on-one and and some some training, but it it it's not really. I mean, it, it's it's more along the lines of you get to sit down with somebody that works in an Apple store to take you through an application, as compared to like a larger classroom setting where where you have actual specialists that are working either in the hardware or the software of the field that, that you're taking this class on. And the, the good thing about that isn't so much that you're in a larger class, but there's going to be other people there that are also taking the class. It's, it's going to offer like a wider range of experiences. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. like Adobe's training. Exactly. Um, I mean, Adobe's training is, is available through you know a lot of different outlets, but I don't think you're going to find that at an Apple store. Yeah, and, and the other thing that, that you'll find at a lot of stores like this is that they'll offer, you know, not only will they service older machines at, at First Tech, they'll also have older machines for sale that have been refurbished, like you were saying earlier uh, this evening, that, that have been refurbished and, and are, you know, more suited maybe for either the needs or the budget of, you know, Apple users that don't necessarily have Twelve hundred dollars to you know, oh my God, in order to pick up the latest and the greatest from Apple. Right, you can um, at you know locations that that do this. I mean, some stores do, some stores don't. Um, you could maybe pick up a used MacBook or a used iMac for um, you know four, five, six hundred dollars or something like that yeah. as opposed to, you know, whatever store you go to, a brand new MacBook is nine ninety nine and the lowest priced iMac is eleven ninety nine. Right. So, you know, you have you have a couple of choices or 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 better you know, basically these kinds of stores, you know, the real talking points are, you know, locally owned, basically People that that live within the community that care more about their customers because they have a greater stake in it than somebody who works in an Apple store that that's more of a, a oh I, I don't want to say you know corp, corporate drone but I mean let's face it if you work in an Apple store you've got a definite line that you got to kind of tow 
to not only to keep your job, but not you know to not get into trouble with the powers that be. Whereas an Apple specialist store can, you know, if you come up and you say, well, what have you heard about problems with product X? Okay, you guys can talk about it. Whereas somebody who works in an Apple store is going to, you know, reach into their back pocket and pull out their little script and say, oh, well, this product is fine. There is nothing wrong with the antenna. We control the vertical. We control the horizontal, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're just not going to do much beyond what corporate is telling them to say. Well, I don't know that they're that restricted, but I know that, uh, for instance, um, you know, Apple employees, not just the retail employees, can't have their own blogs and things. You couldn't have an Apple Store employee on the podcast. I can be on the podcast. I mean, there's there's things like that. Um, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say that they have. A t- I mean, obviously, I don't know. I've never worked in an Apple Store, but from my understanding, they they do have. Some restrictions, but I don't. I don't believe they're totally handcuffed. I mean, some of the things that I've heard customers tell me that they've been told um, doesn't lead me to believe that you know they're handcuffed in the kinds of things they can say that they are allowed to express their opinions. Well, of course, but I mean, at the same time, depending on on what their particular positions are in that Apple store. I mean, like Tim and I went to the Grand Rapids Apple Store when we did the hundredth podcast. And, you know, there were, we, we couldn't really talk to the employees on the podcast and we were, we were somewhat restricted in, in what we could do. Um, and you know, who knows, maybe we crossed a line someplace because as, as far as I know, uh, neither of us have been invited back to do, to do any kind of, of podcast there at an Apple store, or maybe that was just a change in corporate policy altogether. But I do know that an Apple – I, I actually wrote a, I wrote a blog a long time ago on an Apple uh, specialty store I went to in Boise, Idaho called MacLife, you know, not related to the magazine. And comparing that experience to an Apple store experience, it, it was just – it just seemed like it was, it was a, a, better, a, a better way to go if you have the option between going to – an Apple store and going to an Apple specialist store. If you're buying a new machine, you know, okay, the prices are all the same. You're not going to get a better deal at an Apple store versus what you're going to pay at an Apple specialty store, or Apple specialist store. It's, but it's the, the small personal touches that you'll get at most Apple specialty stores that I think would make the, Make make it a welcome you know a, a welcome trip a welcome diversion from from just going to your local Apple store. Exactly, um, I mean, the ties to the community are tighter. They're they're locally owned. Um, the, a lot of them have been around for quite a while. I mean, some of the more well known ones are, uh, for example, in New York City, there's TechServe www.techserve.com. T-E-K-S-E-R-V-E. Uh, in Boston, Tech Superpowers, www.techsuperpowers.com, T-E-C-H. Uh, near you, in Bethesda, Maryland, there's Mac Upgrades. Oh, yeah. Um, www.macupgrades.com. Um, in Chicago, Mac Specialist, www.macspecialist.com. Of course, First Tech in, in Minneapolis, www.firsttech.com. Um, out west, a couple of the the more well known ones are in San Diego, Crywolf, www.crywolf.com, and um, in the L.A. area in Signal Hill near Long Beach, Mac Fusion um, at mac-fusion.com. Now these these are all um, for, you know, especially the places out west. These are all places that do have Apple stores. But it would be in probably your best interest as listeners to the podcast to check out some of these alternatives and just to see what they have to offer. Cause, and I think you'll find that for the most part, you'll really enjoy the experience. And that's really what it comes down to as far as using the Macintosh. It, we use Macintosh computers because that's our preference. There are cheaper ways to go. We chose a Mac. And there are um, there is a website – the, that kind of groups the Apple specialists together. Where would, w- where would that w- be? I'm sorry? Where would that, what, what's the, I was going to ask you what the site was. 
Um, it's www.applespecialist.com, and there you can. It, it's Apple Specialist classification is U.S. only. There's similar things in different countries, like uh, for example, in the U.K. I said it was called an Apple Premium reseller. Um, but if you go to www.applespecialist.com, you can put in your um, U.S. zip code. Um, I think Canada is also covered by this classification, but you put your zip code in, um, select a distance, and it'll tell you the Apple specialist that is closest to where you are. Okay, and I think that's going to wrap it up for tonight. I think you need to, to head down to the basement with your family. You're still under a tornado watch, as I understand. Well, there's something rolling in here. My daughter's getting a little nervous, but it, it's okay right now. Okay. Well, um, you go ahead and take care of what it is you need to take care of, and I'm going to get out of here. It's starting to get uh, kind of dark and stormy here as well, though I don't think it's going to be quite as bad as what you're dealing with, Tom. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Yep. Um, the radar's looking a little red. <laughs> Just wanted to say thanks again for coming on and filling in for Gaz. Not a problem. Um and we should give our Twitter IDs for everybody. Yes, we should. Now, I, uh, if you want to contact me, I can be found at guy at mymac.com or twitter.com slash macparrot. If you wanted to contact Gaz, that's gaz at mymac.com, twitter.com forward slash gazmaz. Now, what about, what about you, Tom? Um, for email, it's tom at mymac.com. That one's pretty simple. Uh, for Twitter, it's twitter.com slash tomdar2, T-O-M-D-A-R-N, the number two. And that's going to do it for tonight. Thank you all so very much for tuning in tonight. And we'll, we'll see you next week. Next week we have, hopefully, unless something else goes wrong, Dave Hamilton from the Mac Eat Gab. Good night, everybody. Good night. And thank you for listening to the MyMac.com podcast. Please send all feedback to podcast at MyMac.com. Be sure to check out our other shows, including Geekiest Show Ever, My Photo Tech Podcast, Your Own Victory Garden, and Sam's Cool Picks. All available in iTunes. 